podcast contains mature content listener discretion is advised all right well real quick before we get into this episode uh i was joined this is future kevin and future Kristen, uh coming back in time to ask you to sign the petition uh i know i usually don't start the episodes this way but i felt like we needed to take the time Kristen, why don't you tell them how close you are to getting signatures done so for this case so that way you can bring more awareness to Danielle's case. So I'm about 150 signatures away. My minimum goal was 1,000 before I thought somebody would take me seriously. I'm around 850 or 860 right now, um, and I'm asking the DA to just make this case a priority, um, to re-interview people connected to the case, persons of interest, anything anything that they could possibly think of to get people to talk Um, and also to make a public update on the case because there hasn't been anything since 2019 and you know the clock is ticking and right now is the perfect time because the person of interest is in jail and it's just a great time to get information and push this case forward. Um, I also don't want it to be forgotten, so I want the DA to know, like, hey, there's people out here who care, and there's people out here who are fighting for these women and their families. So petition, um, it's linked in the show notes, and if you would just take a minute to do that, that would make me very happy. Please, while you're listening to this episode on the Humboldt Five, Take the time while you're listening on whatever platform you're listening on, whatever device you're on, just take the time to go sign it. It takes five seconds. It'll be a percentage, a little baby percentage time to just take the time out to sign it, to bring awareness to these cases. This is your chance to get involved. So please go sign the petition. Yes. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the jury room where we dissect some of the most heinous, some of the most unthinkable, and some of the most monstrous crimes to ever scar the earth. From cannibalistic serial killers to decades-old unsolved mysteries, these stories are sinister enough to keep you up at night. A name like the Emerald Triangle should make you feel safe. It seems like a serene enough name, portraying a stunning, opulent area that should welcome the wary wanderer into its loving arms. But sometimes, even the most beautiful things have a dark underbelly. They can clutch at you and drag you down into their secret depths, never letting you go until it's too late. The Emerald Triangle is considered to be one of those hidden gems among the Northern California mountainside. A beautiful place where folks can come to enjoy the nature and relax. It's also home to the largest cannabis production in the entirety of the United States. The Triangle consists of Humboldt County on the coast, Trinity County, which lies inland, And the point of the triangle is Mendocino County. Many folks within this region 
have turned to the cannabis trade in order to make a living. And this has led the area often having an influx of people coming to work the cannabis farms from all over the United States. People flow in and out of the remote area of the Emerald Triangle, lured there by hopes of making some extra cash quickly, or by the beauty of the land, or to just try and start a new life away from the rest of the world. Humboldt County in particular has dealt with its fair share of turmoil and loss. It's in an area of the triangle that seems to have a history with people coming up missing, people losing themselves in the dense nature of the area and never returning back into the light. It's an area with secrets, some that have spanned decades, and it involves the lives of five young women who lost their lives to the darkness of the area. This is the story of Danielle Bartolini and the Humboldt Five. In 2014, 23-year-old Danielle Bartolini found herself settling into Humboldt County after leaving her home state of Maine. Danielle had left the chilly winters of the East Coast and settled into the warm winds of the West Coast in order to try and restart her life. After suffering through a tragic loss, at only 19 years old, Danielle lost her unborn son during childbirth. The loss impacted her greatly, and many folks stated that after losing her child, Danielle never truly recovered. After nearly four years of coping with a loss that no one should ever have to deal with, Danielle knew she needed a change of scenery. The pain she felt at the loss of her young son was tearing her apart. Depression had settled into Danielle after losing her son, and it was a darkness that was consuming her. Eventually, that pain would drive Danielle to make the decision to leave her home state of Maine and travel out west in order to try and rebuild her life and leave her pain behind on the East Coast. Like many folks, it seemed to Danielle that maybe a change of location would help her begin to move on from the pain of losing her infant child. At 23 years old, Danielle Bartolini found herself living in Humboldt County at the corner of the Emerald Triangle. After moving out west to the Emerald Triangle, Danielle found herself working in the cannabis trade. And like many young folks in that area, Danielle would also fall victim to drug addiction. Her history of pain and heartache, as well as her desire to escape from her loss, drove Danielle into the world of drugs. And as many folks know, once you've entered into that life, it is very hard to escape it. The pain and the heartache she had dealt with at the loss of her child had become too much for her, and she had begun to use drugs as a means of escaping her pain. Once realizing what was happening to Danielle on the West Coast, her family, her mother, Billy Joe Dick in particular, began to beg Danielle to just come back home to Maine. Unfortunately, Danielle would never be able to return to the East Coast. On February 9th, 2014, Danielle would disappear 
near Highway 36 outside the town of Fortuna. Danielle was supposed to get a ride from someone she knew into the town of Fortuna that day, but Danielle would never be delivered into the safety of the rural California town. She was last spotted getting into a vehicle driven by a man near the road by her home. It was after she was seen getting into the vehicle that Danielle simply vanished. It would be two harrowing years for her family and friends before they would receive answers as to what happened to Danielle on February 9th of 2014. Two years of painful unanswered questions as to what had happened to this young, beautiful woman who had only wanted to start a new life somewhere new. Danielle's disappearance would break open a series of cold cases for detectives, however. Her disappearance would cause investigators to realize some very important similarities to another case that had occurred just one week prior to Danielle's disappearance. On March 13th, of 2014, a little over a month since the disappearance of Danielle, investigators would receive a report for another missing woman. Sheila Franks was a 37-year-old mother of a young son. She was reported missing by her mother, who hadn't heard from Sheila in over a month and was concerned for her daughter. Sheila was not known to just stop communicating with her family especially her young son. Her young son lived with Sheila's mother at the time of her disappearance, but Sheila never stopped being part of her child's life. She regularly called him to make sure he was okay and to connect with him. The fact that it had been over a month since Sheila's mother or her son had heard from her alerted Sheila's mother into realizing that something may have happened to her daughter. Sheila wouldn't just stop calling them, as she had never had a history of doing this, and she cared about her family deeply. Investigators were able to determine that Sheila Franks was last spotted in Eureka, California, a location that is only 18 miles from Fortuna, where Danielle would disappear from. She was seen in the presence of a man and after that last sighting, she was never heard from again. With both Sheila and Danielle disappearing within one week of another, it seemed more than a coincidence. Investigators determined that they believed both women's cases were somehow connected to one another, and so they would look to unravel just what had happened to the two women that fateful winter of 2014. It was clear through the early parts of the investigation just how many similar physical characteristics Sheila and Danielle had in common. Both women were of slightier build. They were both blonde haired, both had blue eyes, they shared common acquaintances, and they both had gone missing within one week of each other. Not only did the women share physical characteristics with one another, they also shared similar physical characteristics with three other women who would cross the span of over two decades. It would turn out that Sheila and Danielle were not the first women 
to disappear from Humboldt County under mysterious and suspicious circumstances. In fact, three other women had disappeared over the years from the small region. Three women that shared a lot in common, whether it was looks, locations, or their lifestyles. On September 13th of 1993, Jennifer Wilmer would disappear while hitchhiking to Willow Creek. Jennifer had previously lived in Eureka, California. While Jennifer didn't technically disappear from Humboldt County, her past history in Eureka, as well as the nature with which she disappeared, and her physical appearance, has led many folks to include her name as one of the possible victims associated with the other disappearances in that area. It is of note that the location with which Jennifer had moved to is only about an hour away from the town of Eureka in the nearby county of Trinity. It is close enough for many to conclude that her disappearance may be related to the disappearances of the other women in or around the Humboldt County area. Jennifer wasn't initially from California. She was a 21-year-old woman from New York who had moved out to California as part of a counterculture movement. When she first came to California, she worked several odd jobs as a means to make money. After living in California for some time, Jennifer decided to move into a rented house with her boyfriend and his friends. It was the reason she opted to move out of Eureka and over into the town of Hawkins Bar. Jennifer Wilmer had struggled with mental health over the years. While she was only 21 when she disappeared, she had dealt with bouts of depression to the point where her mother had chosen to purchase a plane ticket to New York in the hopes that Jennifer would decide to come home to the East Coast. The ticket was set up so that Jennifer would just have to pick it up and have it activated with the travel agency. She never picked up the plane ticket. On September 13th, 1993, Jennifer was seen hitchhiking roughly nine miles from where she lived in Hawkins Bar, towards the area of California known as Willow Creek. She was heading towards Willow Creek in hopes of obtaining a job opportunity she had heard about for work at a local farm. Jennifer never made it to the farm in the nearby town. Instead, she would disappear that very day. Jennifer would leave behind her identification, her clothes, bank card, address book, her sleeping bag, and her Bible all things that she would have taken with her if she chose to just run away. Like the other women who comprised the Humboldt Five, Jennifer was of slight build. She was only 5'2 and weighed around 100 pounds. She had brown hair and blue eyes. Jennifer had dreadlocks at the time of her disappearance, and she preferred to be called by her nickname, Jade. Jennifer was only 21 years old when she disappeared. Time would pass as it does and no sign of Jennifer Wilmer would turn up. Her case would grow cold as the years passed. Her mother would go on to assist in creating legislation 
that would require states to report all information concerning unidentified bodies to the National Crime Information Center, or the NCIC. Jennifer's disappearance would lead to a database that would go on to help many unidentified victims throughout the United States by making it easier for missing persons to be associated with a database for unidentified victims. The legislation would be signed into law in 2000. It would be named Jennifer's Law. Jennifer Wilmer has not been seen since September of 1993. Time would pass as it tends to. More people would come to Humboldt County area over time. They too would be looking for a change, looking to start over, looking for something new. On November 25th, of 1997, 16-year-old Karen Marie Mitchell would disappear after leaving work at Coastal Family Developmental Center in Eureka, California. Karen was on school vacation for the Thanksgiving holiday. Karen lived with her aunt, Annie Casper, who was her legal guardian at the time of her disappearance. Karen's aunt owned a shoe store that was located in the Bayshore Mall. And on that day in November, Karen decided to go visit her aunt's store after leaving work for the day. She would go to the mall located at the 3300 block of Broadway Street. The mall was only one mile from her work. A quick walk for a young 16-year-old. At around 2.45, Karen left the mall and her aunt's store. It was the last time her aunt would see her alive. And now... For a quick break. This is Wine, Dine, and Storytime. I'm Nidia. I'm Dana. I'm Cindy. And we're your hosts. Have you ruined a family gathering by asking what wine pairs well with eating a husband? Are you the CEO of TMI? Have you ever been kicked under the table because you brought up your favorite dinner topic, atrocities throughout history? Then this podcast is perfect for you. Each week, Dana and I share stories based on topics that include true crime, historical shenanigans, unexplained mysteries, and all things fascinating, while our amateur chef Cindy prepares themed dinners and pairs wines based on those topics. Find us, the Wine, Dine, and Storytime podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and give us a follow. Now, back to the show. Karen moved to Eureka about three and a half years before she would disappear. She moved from Orange County, California, to the rural city of Eureka in Northern California, in order to stay with her aunt and uncle for the foreseeable future. Karen was described as fun-loving and mature. She was known to have a passion for the environment and enjoyed hiking and camping with her friends and family. Karen planned to put her love of science and nature around her into studying environmental science. She had a goal to graduate high school a year early, just so that she could go off to college earlier and get a head start on her career path. Karen was an A student. She was outspoken about the causes she believed in, and she believed in changing the world. She was a teenager with drive and ambition. She had a level head, and she had goals. She wanted to fulfill even at the young age of 16. She knew what she wanted out of life. It seemed that running away was the last thing on Karen's mind that day. As she had spoken with her aunt earlier in the day, 
about which college she was leaning towards attending once she graduated. Leaving the mall, Karen was spotted walking towards West Sonoma Street. She was spotted by a witness entering an unidentified blue four-door 1976-1978 sedan. The witness identified the car as possibly being a Ford Granada, a Mercury Monarch, or a Nissan. The vehicle's license plate had a frame around the plate that said Eureka. It was a California plate. The witness gave a description of the man driving the vehicle, and a composite sketch was created of the potential suspect. The man has been associated with many known suspected serial killers, one such being that of Robert Durst but no charges have ever been brought against him or anyone else in regards to the disappearance of Karen Marie Mitchell. Karen Marie Mitchell would now be nearly 41 years old. On November 14th, 2008, Christine Walters would walk out of a local copy store in Eureka, California. It was the last place she would be seen. One week previous to her disappearance, Christine had been taken to the hospital after she was found lying on the doorstep of an unspecified home on the edge of the town of Eureka, California. She was bruised and bloodied, and she was also found naked. Christine informed the people who found her on the stoop of their porch that she was afraid for her life and that someone was following her and wanted to hurt her. The witnesses took Christine to the hospital where she received treatment for her injuries. After treatment, the hospital released Christine. After leaving the hospital, Christine would go to a hotel in Eureka to stay for a few days. The hotel was a place her mother wanted her to go in order to stay safe until they could figure out how to get Christine back to her home, which was located in Wisconsin. Like many of the women who disappeared from Humboldt County, Christine Walters was not initially from the area. She hailed from Wisconsin and had found herself in the California countryside in recent years. She had gone to that copy center in November 14th of 2008 to copy her identification in order for her family to get her on a flight back to the safety of Wisconsin. It was a flight she would never take. Instead, after leaving the copy center, Christine would vanish, and she has never been seen since that day back in 2008. These women all share similarities, even though decades may separate their disappearances. They were all on the slender side. They were all lighter-haired, all had blue eyes, all were fairly young women. The three earlier disappearances within Humboldt County have never been solved, and these women's bodies have never been found. To date, only two bodies have ever been found in regards to the disappearance of the Humboldt Five. In May of 2015, Billy Joe Dick, the mother of Danielle Bertolini, was notified that a skull had been found along the Eel River. The skull had been found in March of that year, 
and investigators were able to positively ID the remains. They belong to that of 23-year-old Danielle, the young woman from Maine who found herself alone in California to try and start a new life after losing her son. Billy Joe Dick had learned about the disappearance of Sheila Franks while she had been searching for her own daughter, Danielle. She soon became convinced that there was a connection between the two women's disappearances. She flew out to California from Bangor, Maine, in hopes to f- of finding any sign of her missing daughter. Billy Joe would connect with family members of Sheila Franks, and together the two families would build a Facebook page to remember their daughter's lives and to search for answers as to what had happened to both women. The families would begin building a network through social media, and they would even build out a search team that would eventually include cadaver dogs in hopes of finding the remains of both Danielle and Sheila. It was through the families connecting with one another and advocating for their now missing daughters that they learned that both Sheila and Danielle associated with several of the same people. They also learned that there was one person who had seen both Sheila and Danielle before they disappeared. He was a 43-year-old man from Fortuna named Jim Jones. Jones was living with Sheila Franks at the time of her disappearance, and it was stated that Jones was also the man who had given Danielle a ride in his car. He was the last person to see both women alive. At this time, Jones is only listed as a person of interest. No charges have been formally brought against him to date. It was stated by Chief Bill Doberstone of the Fortuna Police in an interview with NBC that we have identified a person of interest in both cases and it's the same man. Investigators and searchers looked for the remains of Sheila near where Danielle's skull was found. It wouldn't be until 2019 when Sheila Frank's family would finally get closure that they deserved. In June of 2019, a femur was found near Loletta, California, not far from where the remains of Danielle had been found. Investigators were then able to run DNA tests on the femur, and it was determined at the time to belong to that of 37-year-old Sheila Franks. She had been missing for five years by that point in time. Both women's remains were finally able to be laid to rest, giving their families a small amount of closure and knowing what had happened to their daughters. While formally both women's deaths have been labeled as suspicious, the actual cause of death is listed as unknown as their remains were skeletal remains and only a few pieces of their remains have been found at this time. Investigators as well as the women's families know that both women were more than likely murdered. Their remains tossed along a river in hopes of never having the women's bodies found. Unfortunately, that closure is minimal as to this date the murderer of Sheila and Danielle has not been formally charged. 
and so their cases, as well as the other disappearances from Humboldt County, remain unsolved. These five women's stories are forever intertwined, with five families waiting for answers as to what had happened to their loved ones all those years ago. Five women lost their lives in the small rural area known as the Emerald Triangle. Five women who all looked somewhat similar. Five women who all disappeared in very similar situations. Five women who have never been seen alive since their disappearances. Is it possible that there's a serial killer stalking the woods of the Emerald Triangle? Or are these cases merely coincidences that happened over time in one small area in Northern California? Perhaps some of the cases are related and some of them are separate incidences. The truth is none of us will know until more information comes to light. We can only hope that at some point in the near future, evidence turns up that will finally give closure to the five families who have been left gutted by the losses of their loved ones. Five families who await news as to just who or what happened to the Humboldt Five over the last 20 years. If you have any information regarding the suspicious deaths of both Sheila Franks and Danielle Bertolini, or information regarding the disappearances of Christine Walters, Jennifer Wilmer, or Karen Marie Mitchell, please reach out to the Humboldt County Sheriff's Department. Thanks for listening. And remember, you never know what's lurking in the shadows, lingering around the corner, walking past your house at night. So watch out, stay safe, and keep listening. This has been The Jury Room.